Hello, Wags of Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're back. Back, back again. Back again. We're back again. It's Tuesday, it's our time of week again. It's your boys. Oh, God. Hey, demons, it's your boys. Oh, Lord. Um, and this week, it may surprise you, but we're not actually talking about something from the 90s or mm. 2000s. Well, no, very close though. Close, close, but no, Glenn Close, but no cigar. We are discussing another era of horror. We're diving into eighty slasher territory oh, and yeah. discussing cutting class. Cutting class from nineteen eighty nine. Rough time for horror. Yeah, very there. late in the eighties. Um, the slasher film had had died by this point. Um, I do question why this film was made in 1989. Were any slasher films being made at this point? Yes. The ones Not good ones. Sequels. Well, yes, I suppose, yes, sequels. Um, no, no, it was very... Yeah, I think horror was trying to find its feet again around this time. If you look around, it's like, there were some good horror films released, but not. I think the bad definitely outweighed the good. Um, and... Horror was trying to find its place again, I think. You know, the whole of the 80s, you had slasher films. Uh, when you didn't have slasher films, you just had weird horror films. Uh, you know, horror comedies, a lot of horror comedies. Which was what this was meant to be. This this was meant to be... That's puzzling. A kind black of, comedy. I say it's puzzling. This film has a thousand different tones. It just doesn't know which one it wants to go with. Yeah. Um, but it, it is very weird to see something like this released in 1989. Um, yeah. Well, you look at 1989 in terms of horror films, uh, Halloween 5. Yeah. Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. Jesus. Puppet Master, A Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Um, oh, Lord. Good wow, gracious. when I said it was rough, I didn't, know, I didn't mean it was that rough. It, Fuck it hell. was that rough. Uh, Friday the 13th. Part seven, Jason takes Manhattan. Oof. Um, Pet Cemetery. Ah, oh, no, Pet Cemetery's good at least. Hellgate. <laughs> um, offerings. Curfew. Oh Sleepaway Camp Three. House. So films like three. this were being made. So yeah, but they were all amongst sequels. Seemed, yeah, a lot of them were sequels. Prom Night Three. Uh, society, probably the most out there. Probably the best, then, of that bunch. Um, probably the best horror film made in 1989 yeah. was Tetsuo, the Iron Man. Well, oh, yeah, shit, sure, yeah. you know, Puppet Master, oh. God. Yeah, really, nice. Yeah, this is sure, what I'm place, looking actually, at yeah. films from 1989 and that I've seen, and a lot of them were rough. Um... Something kind of similar to Cutting Class came out in 1989, Heathers. Oh, okay. A far superior film. A yeah. black comedy set in a school. Yeah. Not okay. a slasher film. I wonder whether Heathers was released before this was made. Because uh, yeah. I can see the similarities, actually. Um, yeah, I think this is probably more influenced by the teen film than really the slasher film. Yeah, this is the... I mean, it's the MTV era. You know, we've got cool synth music, tries to be cool, doesn't really succeed. Uh, we've got a young Brad Pitt. Yeah. It's, you know... 
everything about this should work, but it just, yeah. And, and some of it does, but we'll get into it. Directed yeah. by Rospo Palenberg, the uncredited co-director of The Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Oh, Lord. That explains it. Writer of Excalibur, The Emerald Forest, The Barber of Siberia, and Druids. Uh, I can't tell you how much it made, uh, or how much it was made for, because that information is not available. Oh. But I can tell you that Brad Pitt once flashed a passing car whilst taking a break between scenes. The police showed up to the set to question him when the driver reported the indecent exposure. Why? Flashed what? It's Dick. God. He's just waving his cock out of the side of the road. Why? <laughs> Why the fuck would you do that? Is there anyone in Hollywood that's not a fucking creep? <laughs> like, seriously. I, I, I often... Sometimes I think... Uh, I get mistaken thinking Brad Pitt's one of the good guys, but I think... I think when I think of him, I automatically think of uh, his character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and how likeable he was in that. Uh, Brad Pitt the person? No, I don't think. I'm not sure. Obviously, we don't know him personally. I mean, flashing someone is a, literally a dick move. Yeah, it really... Huh. Um, he also, as far as I know, cheated on Jennifer Aniston I with say, Angelina Jolie. Yeah, I think there were some controversies with that. Um... Yeah, a unusual move for him being in this because this wasn't his first role, which I'm sure would surprise a lot of people, especially if anyone picked up the DVD like we did, where on the cover is Brad Pitt later on in his career, and the cover has absolutely nothing to do with the film. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, you, you'd assume by looking at that DVD case, he's going to be in one scene and this will be his first film. But it's not the case. He's already it's, in TV shows and such by this point. Yeah, um, I mean, so many Hollywood actors, uh, big time A-list ones, yeah. were in horror films when they were younger. Mm -hmm. The majority of them are crap, you know? Um, I think probably Johnny Depp had the best first oh, yeah. sort of horror yeah. film. Yeah, Not in, I, I mean, of that sort of era, I think in terms of anyone who's early career was in a horror film would be Jamie Lee Curtis oh, well, Halloween yeah, but I think that's a different level um, yeah you you know there's shit like Jennifer Aniston in Leprechaun George Clooney in Return of the Killer Return Tomorrow, to Horror so, High Return to Horror High <laughs> Leonardo um, DiCaprio and Chris Free Chris, you get loads of them um, yeah this is pretty much in that bunch it doesn't really stick out no. I would still say Johnny Depp probably had the best first. I don't know why he took this role. I also don't know why Roddy McDowell took this role. Um, Money. Well, yeah. Jill Scolan. Well, I don't think Brad Pitt, a few TV roles, not like big I TV think he was in roles. some films before this as well. It wouldn't be big films, really. Well, I mean, the trailers make a big deal of him. Like, he's he was well known at the time. Yeah, they do say that oh, Brad Pitt. But I suppose he is a big presence in the film mm. you know his character is throughout i did think it was a case of they're gonna stick him on the front cover like they have done with george clooney oh, yeah return to horror high yeah. and say starring brad pitt and yeah. uh, not actually starring brad pitt but you know it is starring brad pitt jill scolan is in this uh she and brad pitt met on this film and eventually became engaged but never got married um, yeah, Jill Scolan, you would know from... When a Stranger Calls Back. Yeah, 
popcorn. Popcorn, yeah. Yeah, um, she really fucking struggles in this film. She didn't want to do this film. Bless her, um, you can tell. She didn't like the script and rejected repeated offers. However, her agents convinced her it would be a smart career move because Rosberg Pallenberg was an acclaimed writer and this was going to be his directorial debut. <laughs> Credited directorial debut. <laughs> she reluctantly accepted the part of Paula, mostly due to the participation of Roddy McDowell and Martin Mull, both of which she greatly admired. Although she said uh, Pallenberg was nice, she also claimed he was incredibly difficult to work with and repeatedly gave her line readings uh, he wanted recited exactly, which many actors considered assaulting. She said the experience of filming this film was very unpleasant and she doesn't recall it fondly. It's the only film Pallenberg ever directed. Credited. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised. The One of the big things that doesn't work for me in this film is the sleazy nature of it. Now, I don't... Usually, you know, 80 slasher film, there's going to be a bit of sleaze in it. You know, it's not really something I'd usually think about too much. Just what you'd expect. And there isn't, like, a great deal of nudity in this film. But it's the weird sexualization of Jill Scolan's character, who's meant to be in school. Um, but the whole constantly locking up her skirt and flashing her knickers, and it just doesn't... It doesn't feel like other slasher films when they're trying to do the same thing. It it, 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 feel, it feels different. It feels really pervy. Yeah. So there is, and we'll get to it, but there is a scene where she is in just a pair of knickers. And I feel like it's played for laughs. Mm. But it comes across as really creepy. Yeah, like she's just washing her hair in that scene. She doesn't need to have a bra on. Yeah. But it's like, it, it, it just comes across as, sleazy yeah. rather than this is a funny situation for her to be in do you know what i mean yeah yeah it, it's really weird um and especially now you know the trivia reading the trivia about the director being uncomfortable to work with it makes it even worse yeah uh producer rudy cohen didn't care for the casting of brad pitt director rosper pallenberg found four young women who all said Pitt was gorgeous in order to convince Cohen that the casting of Pitt was the correct choice. That's, yeah, that's how you cast someone. Ooh, that's, <laughs> well, let's be fair, Gary. That's how Wes Craven cast Johnny Depp. That's true. That's true. Um, Wes Craven asked his daughters um, who they would prefer, and they all said, uh, Dad, <laughs> Johnny Depp. <laughs> Um, neither Donovan Leach Jr. or Brad Pitt played the killer in the murder scenes. A stand-in was used to prevent... No, you're <laughs> joking. A stand-in was used to prevent the audience from guessing the killer's Who identity. Who was the stand-in? Andre the fucking giant. Bloody hell. <laughs> the guy's at least eight foot tall in all those scenes. <laughs> Getting into the film, the premise is a very simple one. Uh, a, murderer is l- a murderer is loose in a high school in Who Done It movie. The end. Yes. <laughs> it's, that's, that's spot on. The film opens with a paper boy delivering newspapers whilst uh, a very catchy, very 80s theme song plays. And it's Nearer to Morning by Wall of Voodoo. Yeah. Um, very new wave soundtrack. I wrote very. catchy when we were like a minute into the song. Now I couldn't tell you how it goes at all. No. <laughs> no. I mean, you know, love 80s music here on this podcast. But fucking hell, this is rough. 
Wall of, Wall of Voodoo, they, we did agree they did Mexican Radio, and that was kind of their big hit. Yeah, I mean, none of the songs on this soundtrack are on their Spotify. No. Um, it's clear why. A paper is delivered to Paula Carson's house. Paula is approached by her father, Bill, who has a killer moustache. Now... It's been a while since I've had a good moustache on this podcast. Yeah. Um, he's, he makes up for it. It is a decent one. That is good old Martin Mull. It is. Uh, king of the great moustache. Previous star of the podcast and Jingle All The Way. Previous star of the podcast and Jingle All The Way. Um, probably most well known for playing Willard Craft yeah. in Sabrina the Teenage Witch. But had a very uh, successful comedic... Um, career before this film. Yeah, it's in Clue. Um, in Clue, uh, I think he did um, some uh, Chevy Chase, worked a lot with Chevy Chase, mm-hmm. you know, he was uh, in O.C. and Stiggs and stuff, and I, I think he, um, in my mind, um, most memorably, played the guy who um, wouldn't leave his apartment in an episode of The Golden Girls. <laughs> Um, the one who was stuck in the 1960s. Oh, shit, I didn't realise that was him. Oh, that my God. That was him. Yes, that was him. Um, the guy who never ages, because he's always looked that old, yeah. Martin Mull. Um, yeah. Our listeners will know him as the ponytail judge. Uh, judge? The, the ponytail DJ, DJ from Jingle All The Way. Yes. Um, my question about Paperboys, because it's something we don't have here in the UK, um, is Paperboys on bikes... Throwing paper, rolled up papers, onto people's gardens. Oh, I thought you were going to say we don't have paper boys at all. We do have paper boys. <laughs> I was never one, but I knew that. Um, but they would put it through the front door. Yeah. But in, I mean, there was a whole video game that I used to own based on the premise of paper boys on bikes mm. throwing the new pa- these newspapers. It's a weird one. Um, I just feel like the opening is the opening joke. The fact that he's not hitting any of the targets he's meant to be hitting. I don't know. Uh, do you know what? I don't <laughs> get the comedy in this film. I really don't get it. I, I don't understand why it's listed as comedy on IMDb, because all of the things that I found funny, I felt were unintentional. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't feel like this was actually going for a comedy, apart from the Martin Mull scenes, which yes. felt like they were edited in accidentally from a different film. Yeah. But this Paperboy scene, I feel like it's meant to be comedic. But if yeah. it was in a comedy, you'd have the newspapers knocking out old ladies. Or, yeah. you know, knocking coffees out of people's hands and stuff. Or going into ponds and stuff like that. But it's just kind of... I feel like the joke is that it's just not hitting its yeah. target. <laughs> like, he's just, he's just throwing them anywhere he likes. Which is, okay, an alright joke. But... If this is an actual comedy film, play up the comedy a little yeah. more. Yeah, so um, Bill is also the district attorney and he's planned a hunting trip. Paula informs him that he's a great district attorney but a lousy hunter. Yeah, she's more. he's worried about her being home alone for so long but she's more worried about him because he's a lousy hunter. Um, he seems to go hunting by himself for, for some reason. He does. After telling her not to cut class. Oh. Um, we get a close-up of the newspaper that tells us a convicted murderer has been released from prison. Or, or escaped. A, a mental a, asylum. Yeah, a mental asylum. There we go. Well, 
It's the same thing, is it? Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, William goes hunting. Um, and he goes... He goes to a shop to buy his ammunition or whatever. And the guy working there says, You want to bang a mallard? <laughs> Um, which I'm assuming he wants to shoot a mallard and not shag a mallard. Um, he doesn't last very long. No. Or seemingly doesn't last very right, long, this think. William. Because he's there in wherever he is. A mysteriously smoky swamp. Yeah. And uh, he gets shot in the chest yeah. with an arrow by an unidentified assailant. Who knows his name. Who knows his name. And um, I did right here. I was like, was Martin Mull expensive in 1989? <laughs> like, could they not afford him for more of the film? Or is he just unavailable? Well, we do see him again. But in the we meantime, do. Dwight Ingalls looks like he's driving away from the crime scene. Um, with the way it's shot. Uh, he almost runs over a child. And then says, same time tomorrow. And drives off. Yeah, Dwight Ingalls is played by Brad Pitt. Um, he was in Seven. Oh, top Twelve Monkeys. <laughs> yes, no one knows who Brad Pitt is. Famously, he was in Fight Club. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's amusing to watch in this film. One of the better things about it. It's, it's, it's amusing because he's Brad Pitt. Because he's Brad Pitt, If it yeah. was some random guy... I don't think we'd be so interested. No. And I think that that kind of accounts for the whole film. I don't feel like we even would have thought about it for a podcast no. episode if Brad Pitt wasn't in it. It's true. It's true. Um, it is always... It's kind of a, a trivia question, isn't it? Yeah. You know, um, it's the only reason anyone remembers Yes, we're get, getting all those Brad Pitt fans listening in. Yeah. Uh, on the I, I just mean in general. It's just one of those, you know, if if Brad Pitt hadn't been in it, I don't think it would have even reached Blu-ray in America. No. I mean, Vinegar Syndrome. They did, they did. They did. He enters America. class late um, and is questioned by his teacher, Mr. Conklin, uh, and a boy sitting next to Dwight whispers the... Uh, answer to him for the question. Dwight tells him to shut up when he teases Dwight for not knowing what H2O is. Yeah, so the science class is about making some form of explosions with water and sodium. Um, very interesting stuff. And I do wonder if that will come back later know, in yeah. the film. <laughs> um, it might do, it might not. Uh, at gym class, Paula finds a leaf on an arrow, uh, an arrow very similar to the one used to murder her father. Yes. Um, apparently, at this school, boys and girls do gym class together. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose that helps the plot of the film. Um, is that unusual? I'm sure I've seen it I don't think I've seen high school films where boys and girls do gym class together. Spider-Man. Homecoming. Oh, do they? Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to think of a slasher film where it's happened, though. I don't think... I suppose it, I mean... I, I don't know. I suppose if they did it at the same time... I mean, when I was in school, we would do it at the same time, but the yeah. boys tended to do... 
gym, well, physical edu- education, as they'd call it in the UK, um, they would do that inside as the girls were doing it outside, and then the girls would do it inside as the boys were outside. Yeah. So we never really did it together. Well, um, Brian is told to climb a rope by the PE coach, who says, "Keep it in your pants. Climb the rope." Um, but Dwight oh, causes him he's to fall. Staring at Paula, isn't he? He is. He, he is actually an incredibly creepy guy. He, genuinely, <laughs> spoiler alert: he's the most obvious killer um, yeah, in yeah. slasher film history. But also, I thought he was going to be in cahoots with Brad Pitt. I'm not going to lie; I didn't. That is one thing that threw me off because Brad Pitt was also a massive red herring. Yeah, I suppose you have to have red herrings in these things. I mean, the janitors are giant Every fucking member of staff at the school is a red herring. Everyone's a red herring. Um, But it's... Yeah, I suppose when you have too many red herrings, it becomes just a bit stupid and you just... You kind of stop caring. Yeah. Because you can't piece any of it together. But Brian just fucking... Brian teleports places. You know, he he does what... Genuinely, he might as well be wearing a t-shirt saying I'm the killer. Like, it, it's ridiculous. At a hot dog stand... Brian, played by Donovan Leach Jr. Oh, what was he in? Uh, he was in The Blob the year before. Oh, okay. Um, and apparently an episode of Sex in the City. Oh. And um, he's Bard Johnson in Sex in the City. I don't know that one. And Ward Neely in The Dark Knight. There we go. There we go. Um, a hot dog stand, Colleen, Paula and Gary are waiting for Dwight. Whilst the shit song about baseball and guys dating girls plays. Uh, it is Guys Like Girls by Wall of Voodoo. Ooh. Um, <laughs> Colleen is played by Brenda James, who looks just like Hilary Duff. Like yeah, she really, sounds like her. Yeah, looks and sounds like Hilary Duff. Um... You may know her from Sliver, if you've seen Sliver. I have seen Sliver. Um, I didn't remember her, no. No. Um, and Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants. There we go. Uh, Brian approaches and Colleen insults him before asserting that Brian has a crush on Paula. Dwight then pulls up in his car and starts talking to Paula, asks her to go to uh, her house because her father's away, uh, which would give them the opportunity to be alone. Uh, now, Dwight and Paula... I think it's never clear they're actually in a relationship. They they are. The running joke is that Paula won't put out for Dwight. Yeah. That's a running joke throughout the whole film. Of course. Um, she says at some point um, that she won't sleep with him because until, <laughs> until, until his grades improve. <laughs> so I feel like... so. Paula is kind of, I think, a parody of the good girl yeah. in films. Yeah. Um, she won't put out for a boyfriend because he won't improve his grades. She's cheerleader. Yeah. She is, um, she does extracurricular stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's part of some like charity drive or something, isn't she? Yeah. Um, so she's, I think she's, a parody um but the problem with the film is i'm sat here saying i think she's a parody it yes. should be more clear yeah 
I think. It should be more clear. If she's going to be the quintessential good girl, goody two-shoes, then you need to play it up a bit more. Yeah. I mean, I think the best thing to compare it to is uh, Slumber Party Massacre because Slumber Party Massacre, if you watched that and no one told you it was a comedy, you'd know it's a comedy. Yeah. If I didn't look at IMDb and see that this was listed as a comedy, I would have thought... It was just a straight-up slasher film that managed to be accidentally funny every now and then. Mm. You know, it it's... Yeah, the none Slumber of the comedy Party is... Massacre is clever. Yeah. In that it can work both ways, and you don't really question it. Yeah. And you find a lot funny with Slumber Party Massacre if you're a fan of the films it's parodying. Yeah. Now, we're slasher film fans... And I'm still not understanding any of cutting classes, exactly. you know, comedy, yeah. parody or not. Yeah. Uh, Dwight goes to buy Paula a hot dog, but is beaten by Brian, who hands her one. Yeah. Um, when Dwight returns, he tells Paula to get in the car and makes it clear to Brian that they are not friends anymore and to leave him and Paula alone. He also mentions that Brian was in a mental institution, obvious red herring. Yes, um, so we're assuming that he's the murderer mentioned in the newspaper, yeah. but because the newspaper was so vague, it's still in red herring territory. Dwight and Brian, they've uh, gay. They've got a thing going on. These uh, two, two young twinks, they've got a thing going on. I think if the big reveal that Scream was too scared to do, where the two <laughs> friends... Turned out to be homosexual killers. I've been like, okay, that's brave. Yeah. I mean, maybe a little homophobic, but brave. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was. Depending on how they handled it. Yes, they had better chemistry than Dwight. They had Paula. much better chemistry. <laughs> um. Yeah. Knowing that the the actress Jill Sh- Shulman, mm. um, didn't want to be part of the film shows so yeah. it makes so much more sense because she has no chemistry with no. anyone and that's probably why her comedic scenes don't work either. yeah um, she just can't be bothered yeah you can tell that she just cannot be bothered uh, they go back to her house Dwight dresses up in Bill's clothes and tells Paula that he has a bigger dick than her father <laughs> yeah how does he know <laughs> has he seen the district attorney's equipment mm, yeah Yes. Um, this is when she tells him she's not going to sleep with him unless his graves, grades improve. His graves improve? There's a red herring for you. Um, Principal Mr. Dante is played by Roddy McDowell. Uh, he makes an announcement to the school about obscene acts that have taken place while sniffing some sort of clothing, which I later came to realise was someone's sock. Bad looks of it. Oh. Yeah, because he keeps it on the microphone, he does. doesn't he? This is some of the worst miscasting I have ever seen. It doesn't work. Really doesn't. Roddy McDowell is not this type of character. No. Um, you know, we've seen him play likeable characters a lot, most of the time. That's, you know, his thing. Um, he played, didn't he play a villain in Dead of Winter? Yes. Yeah, he, he was great in that. He was really good oh, in that. That is a real underrated film. It is. He, he was great in that. Um, but 
he's meant to be playing someone unlikable here. He's meant to be playing a pervert. But it's just not believable. But that... It's just not funny. It's not funny. It's, it's not just funny. It's not funny. It, it's so... And it's so badly written, Roger McDowell can't make it funny. Exactly. Exactly. And it's so weird because even though it's not believable because you know you're watching Roddy McDowell, it still makes these scenes really sleazy because of how badly executed it is. It's so hard to describe. It's it's really uncomfortable. Um, but Roddy McDowell, was, wasn't he a gay man as well? And he's yeah, not, I'm not sure if he was an out gay man. Yeah, that's where we spoke about this on the Friday Night episode. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, it's kind of it kind of shows and... It just, yeah, none of it works. It none of it works yeah. at all. It's like a camp guy trying to be pervy to a yeah. woman. It just doesn't... No. He was in some random shit, by the way. He was. He was. He Shakmar, a year later. <laughs> um, he was in... Well, it was in Fright Night Part 2. Uh, before... He was in Overboard. And he wasn't... I don't think he had a big part in Overboard. Um, but good old Roddy McDowell. We all love him. He's great. Um, can't make the most of this, unfortunately. No. Bless him. And kind of disappears later in the film. People... I think he's in one that maybe cost a little more than they could afford. Well, I mean, the marketing didn't even make a big deal of it. Like, come on, you love fucking Roddy McDowell. It was Roddy McDowell a big deal. I mean, he was... To us... Planet his, of the Apes. He's his a most massive fam- part yeah, but of His Planet most of the famous Apes. role was under, you know... Um, he, he was playing an ape, didn't he? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, he was... What's the word I'm looking for? He was in the prosthetics. Thank yeah. you. But he was still a massive part of that franchise. Yeah, of course. But he was never a leading man, I don't think. He was never a leading man in a film, really. Unless, no. Unless he was... He had a bit of the Anthony Perkins about it. Yeah. Where he would. he was only really a leading man when he was doing something a bit weird. Yeah. Oh, Fright Night, he had a massive part in that. Um, oh, he was in Cleopatra, you know? Yeah. Famously missed out on an Oscar nomination because of a clerical error for Cleopatra, but in a supporting role. Obviously, he should have just done what Ewan McDowell did and got his knob out loads in the 70s and... Uh, Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> then he maybe he would have uh, been a leader man. Um... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. On that note. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we love Roy McDowell. But this, this isn't, the, oh, well, this isn't the one. This isn't the one. Um, Paula poses for a live painting for art class where a teacher gets her to bend over. In Brian, a swimsuit. In a swimsuit. Swim yeah. Brian sneaks in to watch and the teacher gets in to pose with Paula. He leans in for a kiss and the scene just randomly ends. Um, one of many examples of terrible editing in this film. Yeah, this um, Brian lurking in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, he gets anywhere he wants whenever he wants. It's ridiculous. But again, this scene is just so uncomfortable. There's just something not right about it. It just... It's seeming... Again, it's another scene that's seemingly, it's seemingly being played for laughs. Yes. Of her in a swimsuit bending over. And it's... Just, it just doesn't work. It's just... It's just not funny. If it was kind of like... Because it's not funny, it's a bit creepy. What was the last film we said this about? Um, if it was going for a more Twin Peaks vibe, I mean, where everyone was a bit weird. Yes. Um, 
1989, you know, it'd be understandable if they were trying to cash in on that. And where everyone was a bit weird, then it would work better. But it's just... It seems to be every teacher in this school has the same sort of pervy attitude. But then everyone else is a little different. It's just... It's really messy. It it really, really is. Um, it's just inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mr. Dante, again, wrote it down, flirts with Paula, asks her to stop by his office for a surprise. He makes her bend over to pick up a blue jumper and tells her to put it on. But again, it feels like the cameraman, it feels like the director's doing this just to be a bit perfect himself. Yeah. That's, I think that's why it's so uncomfortable. It's because none of this needs to be there. No. and It's, it's, it's so just, unnecessary. It's just a repeat of the last joke. It's just the same joke again. Mm. Um, so it's revealed that she has some form of key that she can get into the office um, because she helps them out, doesn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, Brian watches them um, when when Mr. Dante's doing his pervy thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and then menacingly walks down the corridor running a ruler along some lockers because they really wanted you to know who the killer was very early on. Um, the art teacher is murdered in some sort of big machine. Yeah, I suppose I would call it a kiln. I, I, I assume kiln's uh, much smaller. Um, but he was baking some form of pottery in there. Yeah. Um, and he gets pushed in. The door's closed on him and the temperature's turned up. And apparently, you know, seemingly he's sizzled. Yeah, and much like some other characters later on in the film, his death goes completely unnoticed. Completely. Um, they don't even do the classic slasher um, putting the corpses somewhere at the end for for the final girl to find. They don't even do that. Not with his, no. No, like, what, what's going on here? Like, why is this even in the film? I mean, you know, higher body count's great, but... And it's in the mystery of the film, maybe, you know? But also, when it's revealed who the killer is, the motive for this murder isn't... I don't really understand. Well, it's because he has been pervy with... Um, and then so Paula. was Roddy McDowell. That's true. I'm surprised he didn't more get... more interested yeah. for Roddy McDowell to get a death scene. Yeah. Shortly after this, we get another scene of Brad Pitt being a dick. He tells uh, Paul Lowry he doesn't get mad, he gets even. Uh, and he shows up at her house later on. What's that smell? Oh, it smells like red herring. <laughs> it shows up at a house with Gary and Colleen. My, this is where I noticed uh, in the film that Brad Pitt doesn't sound like Brad Pitt. No. There's nothing to suggest in the trivia that he was dubbed. No. But it just really doesn't sound like him. Maybe he's decided on a different voice over the years. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Because it, it kind of... It kind of sounds like he hasn't finished puberty yet, <laughs> but he looks old enough to have finished puberty. It's just kind of weird compared to the voice that we know, but you know. It's true. Um, it was an acting choice. Paula offers him a kiss, but he wants to. He wants the key to the school files, so they can look at Brian's file. She takes his ring in exchange for the key. Um, why ring. does she have the key? Because she helps out. 
and then she trust her with the key. Her, yes, because the she's school files. Because she's goody two shoes, district attorney's daughter. Wow. Um, Colleen says, "Come on, let's blow, bitch." <laughs> Whilst waiting in the car, and Dwight bribes Paula with her homework, so she goes with them. Yes. Brian shows up just as they're leaving because. <laughs> He's the magical teleporting Brian who could just show up anywhere he wants. He's Michael Myers, absolutely. <laughs> they break into the school whilst the janitor's there, um, but they manage to get past the him. The janitor, called Schultz, <laughs> is cleaning in the dark for some reason. He is. So why are the lights not on? He never goes home. He never he's goes home. He's always there. Yeah. Um, he's another massive red heron. Yeah, talks to himself uh, and then goes off for a, a joint. Yeah. Um, which, you know, clears the way for them to get to the office. Yeah, they're not even trying to be quiet. I don't know how he didn't hear them. Um, they read Brian's file, and Colleen wants to know what he likes to eat if he's a cannibal. Dwight informs her that Brian likes to eat breasts, and that hers could feed a family of four. Lovely. Yeah, so the file reveals that Brian is a schizophrenic, and possibly a cannibal. Although I'm not sure if that's just a joke that they they added. Um, they do kind of feel sorry for him after reading that he had uh, shock treatment every single day. Um, kind of. I think it's Dwight that you get the first sign of guilt. Yeah. Which doesn't come back for the rest of the film. Um, a slight bit of guilt. In a bizarre series of events... Brian is spying on them, which, you know, is, is nothing new. He's spying on them behind a water dispenser that is pushed right up to the fucking wall. First of all, how did he get into that room without them seeing him? Yeah. <laughs> Again. <laughs> but but that's, that's a funny joke. But yeah. If, it, it, if that was an airplane and exactly. it was Leslie Nielsen, we'd all be laughing. Yeah, but because the tones are so messy elsewhere in yeah. this film, that looks like it's meant to be serious. Exactly. And it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it, that is meant to be a joke. Yeah. Um, the kids fuck around in class the next day. They all pretend to be getting electric shocks to tease Brian. Uh, the teacher tells Dwight he'll fail soon and if he Brian doesn't do his homework. Doesn't react no, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Um, Brian knows the answer to the question that's being asked because he's mysterious yet brainy. All of the school students have been taken on a trip where built. No, Dwight, this is a fucking bizarre series of what events. What I was confused by just just before that, uh, Dwight and Paula return the ring and the key to each other. Yeah. Via the whole class, so like passing notes or mm-hmm. sequence. Um, I was very confused because why didn't they just do that the night before? I know. Yeah. Surely they left the school together. <laughs> and it also doesn't mean anything to. Oh, no, this is the moment where Brian notices Dwight's ring. Yeah, which is important later on. Yeah, Uh, I mean, outside of the the locker room. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, In a bizarre series of events, all the school students are being taken on a trip where Bill was hunting at the start of the film. Yeah, which seems really close by. One of them steps on him, and he tries asking for help, but the teacher dismisses it as Mother Nature having cramps. Again, this scene, like the water dispenser scene, so over the top and ridiculous, but so out of nowhere. Yeah. Compared to everything else, like, 
This is so stupid. Why are they being taken on a, on a trip to this fucking swamp, first of all? And why isn't Paula like, I swear my dad's in Exactly, exactly. Should we go say hello? Someone stood on him and they didn't realise he was there. <laughs> which is, you know, which in any other film would be kind of funny. Yeah. Um, Martin Mull is a fantastic comedic actor. Um, like Roddy McDowell, wasted in yeah. this film. Yeah, um... I didn't think we'd shit on this film as much as we have been <laughs> shitting on it. I think overall it's not terrible, but I feel like I'm talking myself into giving it a half a star. Like, no, it's a shit. I didn't give it a half a star. I mean, it's it, it's really not the worst slasher film. We've seen so much worse. I at least like it could have been executed yeah. much better. At least it's watchable. That's a start. And really. I suppose... Part of me is a bit like, you have wasted Roddy McDowell. Yeah. And you have wasted Martin Mull. You know? And that that is kind of unforgivable. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Dante flirts with Paula some more. Colleen thinks he kisses like a lizard. Paula, Colleen and the rest of the cheerleaders do their routine whilst Mr. Dante and some random kids perv on them. One of the kids is like, oh, look, she's wearing white underwear. No... No, did you miss something? No. Colleen takes her knickers off. Does she? Oh, the, she's wearing no underwear. She's wearing no oh, underwear. Okay. So Colleen that. takes her knickers off in the um the gym uh, in not in the gym, in the locker room, and says, "Oh, this this will give them something extra to cheer for," and then she's do, you know, as she's doing her cheers, she's bending forward and her. Her uh, tushy is on full display. Oh, okay. I did miss that. Which um, horrifies the parents, but obviously the red-blooded teens of the high school are having a wonderful time. Yeah. um, A gay-looking fight breaks out on the basketball game. Uh, Dwight's dad is... Why is a gay-looking fight? It's a homoerotic fight, let's face it. Dwight's dad is... all fights are kind of homoerotic. Like, yeah. between two men are kind of homoerotic. But Brad Pitt's very gay at multiple points in this film, and he is involved in the fight. <laughs> Dwight's dad is fuming because he brought someone along to watch him for his scholarship. Yeah, who I felt I recognised, and this is highly unprofessional, um, but I'm going to see if I can find out who that was, because I absolutely recognised his name, his face. I believe, um, oh, who was he in Showgirls? Showgirls? He was in Dreamgirls as Ronald White, and he was in Showgirls as, oh, he was prison official in Lost Highway. He was booking sergeant in Showgirls. I think... He's one of these actors that plays police officers a lot. <laughs> and, yeah, he was in Silver Party Massacre 3 as Detective Davis. Uh, yeah, his name's Alexander Falk. And uh, I think, yeah, he was the cop in Golden Palace. <laughs> <laughs> police officer in Martin. <laughs> yeah, I think he's one of these that's made a career of playing police officers. It sounds that way. Um, oh, um, he was SWAT officer in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. There we go. Oh, of course he was, yeah. Yeah. No, that is where I recognise yeah. him from. Yeah. 
Um, Gary takes Colleen under the seats, so she thinks she's about to get lucky. Uh, but he gets his throat slit as soon as the game finishes. Colleen is killed off screen because, yes, just in case you forgot, this is a slasher film. Yeah, yeah, finally getting to a little bit of slasher film territory. Um, Colleen does say that Gary enjoys hiding under the bleachers so he can see all the girls' skirts. Yes. She says this to Paula, and Paula doesn't kind of acknowledge what she no. said. She's like not... Considering she's goody-two-shoes, she's not really horrified no. at this. No, because she has no reaction to anything. She she absolutely has no reaction to anything that happens to her in this film. <laughs> Dwight uh, takes Paula home so she can study. The janitor finds blood amongst the popcorn in the school gymnasium. Yeah, he doesn't really react. Red herring. <laughs> Brian, uh, who we now learn is a mechanic. Now, this is when things get a little gay. Mm. Uh, he's working on Dwight's car. Dwight shows up underneath the car with him. Uh, and they have a uh, very close chat. Um, this is when I wrote down about their chemistry. How it, it felt a little more believable than uh, Paula. It, it's a very, very weird scene. Because, I mean... Well, I mean, not weird, you know. Um, great that they had a romance. That's homophobic. <laughs> but, I mean, in this film where that's, it's not played out to be gay, um, the two actors definitely played it gay. I thought they did. I, I did think that the big reveal would be one big, probably insulting gay joke. Because in front of everyone else, Dwight is like, oh yeah, fuck Brian, what a twat. But then, when them two are alone, he seemed really interested in him and really friendly with him. And, yeah. Yeah. The camera seemed to be making a point in the way they were looking at each other. And something that's done later on as well in the film. Yeah, it does kind of feel like that they had more than a friendship in the past. Um, it's not dealt with at all. So. No. Uh, meanwhile, Bill is wandering around the swamp again. Absolutely pointless. Yeah. Uh, Dwight is getting... <laughs> so did they only have him for like a day? <laughs> Dwight is getting a talent off from his teacher again. And Brian stands up for him. <gasps> like, you leave my man alone. And they're sent out of class. Paula goes to see Brian before he has to speak to the vice principal. And she says to him, it, really, really no idea where this dialogue came from. When you go to see the vice principal, think of a moustache. That'll get you through it. Okay? Think of a moustache or think of her moustache. <laughs> think of a moustache. Oh. Brian tells the vice principal that the teachers that have been bitching about him are all liars, but she doesn't believe him. She wants to know if he's willing to accept what the teachers are willing to give. And he says, I'd rather suck donkey dick. Uh, so she suspends him. Yeah, really weird exchange that's, I'm, I'm assuming, is meant to be comedy between the two of them. Um, I don't I didn't really get it. Very unfunny. Um... The vice principal played by Nancy Fish. Yeah. Who you may know as Homeless Bag Lady in Howard the Duck. Oh, yes, of course. Mrs. Peenman in The Mask. Oh, of course, yeah. Nurse Allerton in The Exorcist 3. Okay. Um, yeah, that's... And then she was in Death Becomes Her, but I don't think it was a big role. There we go. So there we are. <laughs> the janitor... If, if this... 
this is where you know these people from thing. If it's annoying anyone on the podcast, I don't think it is. It's very interesting. I think it's. I think it's it, very interesting. I had no idea that she was the neighbour from the mass. Yeah. <laughs> um, the janitor is scraping stuff off the floor of the gymnasium when Paula and Dwight walk through. He gives them a talent off uh, for walking through with their shoes on. And tells them that he's the only teacher they'll remember. Bitch, you ain't a teacher. You're a fucking janitor. I do find it slightly strange that he would snap at them like that. Yeah, and they just laugh it off and walk away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Paula doesn't mean it. Yeah, Paula goes to the girls' locker rooms uh, and the janitor stares Dwight out as he leaves. Uh, the vice principal is murdered in the copy room by having a face slammed into the photocopier multiple times. This is where we get the very tall-looking silhouette yeah. figure. <laughs> this is very much like Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. Where it's meant to be Felissa Rose, but you can absolutely tell it's not. Yeah. <laughs> this is also a case of... It doesn't look like anyone else in the film. No. It's just like a silhouetted uh, thing. It's a fun kill, yeah. I suppose. It's something a little different. Um, again, with the comedy... You know, you have to have these over-the-top kills. So I think it works. Yeah, I've got no problem with the kills in this film. They're one of the better things about it. Yeah, but like an arrow and a slash to the neck, it's not... They kind of slasher film deaths. Whereas if yeah. you're doing a parody or a black comedy version of a slasher, you want those over-the-top yeah. death scenes. Uh, Brian and Dwight are in the bathroom together. They give each other a look, don't they? Yeah, as whilst if, Brian's washing his face. As if they've just come out of adjoining cubicles. Yeah. Which may have a hole in between yeah. the two. And they kind of give each other a look. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's very seductive. Um, but sinister music's playing at the same time, which really, again, kind of reinforces the fact that these two are in it together. Yeah. Um... But no, Dwight, uh, they, they hear about the killing and Dwight blames it on Brian, chases him through the school, uh, where he also finds Mr. Dante plusing, playing dress-up in the drama department. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which, if he hadn't have been a perv earlier, I would love to have seen Malcolm McDowell in full drag, being, yeah. being caught, you know, in full drag yeah. in the drama department. I mean, that... I mean... It's not a joke that would have aged particularly well, but it would have been funny. It would have been yeah. a funny thing, and, you know, Malcolm McDowell could have played it up and actually... Uh, yeah, Mal- Malcolm McDowell. No, Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell, for fuck's <laughs> sake. Andy McDowell could have really played it up, um, and it would have been a fun scene. And Roddy McDowell could have done some actual acting. Yeah. Two police cars, a helicopter, and police dogs go looking for Brian at the swamp. Because apparently everyone goes to the swamp. Everyone loves the swamp. Um, Bill... So good you can spend a whole week there on vacation. Bill, still alive, eats an egg uh, and tries asking the police dog to get help. Uh, The dog keeps barking at him and somehow no one hears him shouting for help. Yeah, so the police dog's there because the police, based solely on the word of Dwight, (laughs) are looking for Brian via helicopter. Yeah. Many helicopters and many cars. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's a little over the top, isn't it? It is. Based on the testimony of one person. Um, the parents are calling to a school meeting about the murder. 
Brian is hiding in a skip. Well, the the parents are just holding up the photocopies of Mrs. Noct face. Yeah. So when she's murdered, they're just holding them and waving them, and like, what are you gonna do about this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brian's hiding in a skip. The janitor throws in the pictures from the photocopier, um, and he takes it. Paula finds a tape recorder with Brian's file at her house, so she takes it to Dwight, um, and they discuss the brake lights being cut on Brian's father's car before he was killed, and she wants to know which friend told him to do it. Yeah, because he won't. He wouldn't uh, grasp a friend, would he? No. And they're disturbed by someone hitting the symbol on a drum kit and they leave. It's Brian standing in plain sight. Uh, yeah. Saying, to be or not to be, eat me, Dwight. And he, he meant that. Yeah. These um, cops aren't doing a great job, are no. they? No. We need to find Brian. Um, do you think he'll be at the school where he committed the murder? <laughs> Does he always go back to the scene of the crime? Or is that just in films? Oh, it is a film, so... Um, random shot of breasts in the girls' locker room yeah. for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Um, just so they can say that they're there. Um, at gym class, the gym teacher is giving Dw- Dwight... I was going to say Dwayne then. Dwight a hard time. Like, all the teachers give poor Dwight a hard time. Uh, he says, just because some loon goes around killing people, you can't have a day off. Um... I think if a loon went round killing people <laughs> in my school, maybe we would get a day off. I suppose that's the joke. Yeah, yeah, he wants him to go back for detention, so Dwight tries to fire a bow and arrow at him, but Paula stops him. She's like, come on, you're already being too much of a red herring. I know. One red herring too far. Bill's now crawling out of the swamp and asking for help. I didn't even write these down. <laughs> A drunk Dwight goes to Paula's house and suggests that he and Paula would make the perfect couple, but she sends him home. Again. Again. Now, this is when um, someone sneaks into her house while she's topless and washing her hair. So pointless. Absolutely pointless. Um, I think it, I do think it's a joke because she's the final girl, the good girl, so even though she's topless, you don't actually see her boobs because of the camera angle and whatnot. Um, but again, it's so unnecessary... Um, but it's Brian. He's there to ask her to help him find a killer. Um, he grabs some scissors that Paula tries to reach for and asks Paula to stab him if she believes he's the killer so she doesn't do it. Um, yeah, I just found a completely pointless scene. Yeah. Again, because there's no chemistry between them. It doesn't work. Um, it's really awkward that she's topless, but like... Holding, you know, her arms mm. around her chest. Yeah. And, like, what's the joke here? Like, what is the joke? Where yeah. are the jokes? Yeah. Brian tells uh, he's not the killer and that he didn't kill his father either. Yeah. Um, Dwight calls Paula. <laughs> oh, doesn't she finally acknowledge, though, the disappearances of Colleen, Gary, and the uh, yeah, art this, teacher? Yeah. She fi- the only, finally only character who does. She's like, well, what about Colleen, Gary, and the art teacher? Yeah. And Brian's like, what? What about them? Like, They've been missing. Yeah, absolutely no one else knows this. No. Um, Dwight calls Paula to tell her that he's just getting started. Um, 
Started with what? I mean, none of this shit's explained. At the... This is the problem where you have so many red herrings. Yeah. Um, that at the end of the film, you kind of have to explain them all, or it's just like, uh? Yeah. It just feels like shoddy writing. Yeah, um, Brian's dressed in Bill's clothes and shows Paula one of the pictures from the photocopier where Dwight's ring is visible. And, uh, she's like, that ring belongs to the killer. That ring belongs to Dwight. <laughs> I put, luckily for the plot of the film and me suffering through the film, the murderous hands are visible <laughs> and they're wearing Dwight's ring. <laughs> also, how did he get Dwight's ring? Like, there's something well, yeah. seriously going on between those two. Well, there must have been. But Dwight doesn't even notice that this ring disappeared. Exactly. Dwight, in a gym detention, says fuck you to the teacher um, when he asks him to get changed. But he goes to the changing rooms anyway, and the gym teacher starts jumping on the trampoline. <laughs> yeah. Shits and giggles. Brian and Paula sneak into the school, and the janitor tries to attack them. With a mop. And someone sneaks under the trampoline and sticks an American flag through the trampoline... And the gym teacher falls on it and gets impaled. Yeah. Um, my problem with this, it's a, it's a fun death scene that was kind of reused by Eli Roth. Yeah, in uh, the Thanksgiving Grindhouse trailer. Yeah. Um, I think it was used to better effect Yeah. by Eli Roth because this kind of... It's kind of obvious that... It's not actual special effect. It's just kind of sticking it's through just, his arm. Yeah, it looks really bad. It does look really shoddy, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, it's a fun idea, but not executed that no. well. Paula finds the maths teacher, and he's now Irish. For some reason. I don't know why he's suddenly put on an Irish accent. The killer starts playing Man Talk by Andy Pryboy over the school speakers. Um, Paula and the maths teacher lock themselves in the classroom where the killer has left a maths problem for them on the chalkboard. They need to solve it so they know which door to go through. Now, this is so dumb because, seriously, the doors are so close to each other. It, it, it doesn't matter which one you go out. You can get fucking killed. Like, seriously, again... If this is meant to be comedy, then why is it not funny? Why is it played so seriously? Yeah. Um, they decide on the door, and Brian kills the maths teacher with an axe. Paula... Because he didn't account for the change in time zone. It's true. Paula didn't react at all. There's, there's not a single no. bit of reaction on her face to this teacher being murdered in front of her. No. <laughs> like, seriously. You... you... You know, you could have told her that you burnt the toast. You would have got the same reaction. Brian yeah. <laughs> gives the big killer speech to Paula. And that that axe was really floppy as it well. It was. <laughs> we get the big killer speech. Um, he talks shit about her father and tells her how he likes her and not to take it personally oh. when he kills her. He starts talking shit about murder as a profession... Which I'm assuming is what it's meant to be a darkly comedic moment, but it just comes across across as like cringy. Yeah. Um. He, he mentions about, oh, well, I'm killing the past. I'm gonna kill in the future. I'm sure that'll come back. Yeah. Um. Dwight smashes his way through the door, and uh, him and Paula they run away, and the chase begins. 
Um, Brian runs away shouting shit about Yankee Doodle Dandy and saying about you must kill or die or whatever the fuck he's going to do. just chatting shit. Uh, they end up in the science room. Yeah. And Dwight tries the old sodium trick from earlier in the film. But he doesn't use sodium. He just uses a yellow rock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Brian informs him that he shouldn't have been so late to class. <laughs> um, which my question is, Paula was there at the uh, class yeah. as well? <laughs> and if she's the queen of studying, she yeah. should have known so brainy. that Dwight picked up a rock and not sodium <laughs> to use to make an explosion. Yeah. Um, he follows them, uh, Brian follows them into the, uh, workshop class and, uh, turns on all the equipment. Brian corners Dwight and puts his head in a vice and puts a drill towards his face. Yeah. Now, I'm gonna say it. Paula, one of the worst final girls... Yeah. In horror movie history. Yeah, they had this big fight and she just stands there she and just watches. absolutely fuck all. So to begin with, she does fuck all as they're fighting until until Dwight tells her what to do. Yeah. Um, then Brian places clasps over Dwight's neck and suggests that he's also a killer because of him helping him in some way to cut his, dad bre- his dad's brakes. And he says he will spare Dwight if he kills Paula. Again, she's really struggling to react with any emotion (laughs) whatsoever. Dwight obviously refuses. Brian then puts Dwight's head in a clamp. um, Whilst Paula is just screaming, let him out without actually doing anything. Um, Paula then suddenly decides to flirt with Brian to distract him. Yeah, this is bullshit. Um, she says that she'll do anything he wants and he forces a kiss on her. He's like, last night I was a perfect gentleman. I had a strange tingle over my body. Have you ever felt my tingle? Um, so she asks him to close his eyes and starts him doing a top. Uh, and then when she finally does do something, she hits him in the head with a claw hammer. And then she's like, stop fucking with my emotions. What the fuck, what the fuck are you even talking about? Seriously? Then she pushes him into, a, like, a rotary blade yeah. and kills him. So she does kill him. Um, but, my God, was she a fucking wimp. She really was. Point. And it does, it does kind of annoy me, and I, I, I do hate this in slasher films, where the final girl has to use sexuality or, you know, a false kind of flirtation in order to kill the killer. I mean, it can be empowering in some situations. In not this film. Some though. situations, but if if they've shown strength in other areas, yeah. Um, but you know, all the real great final girls that I can think of off the top of my head don't do that. Well, I mean, the thing is, you know, if it wasn't in a film where the rest of the film is her being perved on and sexualised in every way possible, then, you know, it wouldn't be as bad. No, I suppose it wouldn't have been as bad, but also, if it had better chemistry leading up to this point, yeah. the relationship between the two would have been more understandable. I think if it, if Dwight had been the killer, 
and she had done the same thing, it would have made more sense. Yeah. Because that was Dwight finally getting what he wanted because he'd been, you know, pushed back so many times. I would understand it a little more. But because she'd actually... Like, this ending of the film, it goes on a while, not like a huge amount of time. But because she'd been a real wimp up until this point and so reliant on the maths teacher... Like, she's shouting mm. at the maths teacher, you can do this one, why can't you do, why can't you do this equation, hurry up, please, hurry up. I was like, um, sorry, top brainiac. Yeah. You know, yeah. why aren't you helping? She didn't help with the sodium situation. Mm-hmm. She hasn't helped at all up until this point. She's been a right fucking wimp. Yeah. You know, you thought she'd be the strong, clever final girl. Yeah. The chancellor shows up and says, what is this, survival class? Wouldn't mind cleaning up after you. Oh. Yeah, saying that to Paula. I think... Um, Great, she's still being sexualized. You were reading her to filth not too long ago because she was wearing shoes on your clean floor. Yeah. And now you're like, oh, hey, hey, baby, oh. What, because the top two buttons are undone? Fucking hell. They leave the school and are in Dwight's car when all of a sudden they see Paula's dad as he's falling down the hill into the road. Did you not realise what Dwight said to the police officer else? <laughs> I told you he was a killer, and you didn't believe me. But, uh, uh yeah, well, I mean, they, they did. They sent out helicopters. They sent out fucking helicopters, mate, based on your word alone. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? That's just shit writing. That's just really yeah. poor writing. Like, mate, come on. Um, um, yes, Martin Moore makes his final appearance in the film. He has survived all this time. Yeah. It's one we two days worth of uh, shooting time for the film. They they swerve and miss hitting him, um, and uh, he tries well, telling this, them this is so Paula conveniently remembers just as they're going down a hill that Brian said about murdering in the future. Uh huh. She's like, well, what does that mean? And then Dwight's brakes yeah. have been cut. Um, he seems. To, I don't, re- I'm not really clued up on how cars work. Yeah. But whenever I've known brakes not to work in a film, it just turning the car around hasn't resolved the issue. No. But apparently in this film it did. He just sort of turned the car and that stopped. Yeah. Whatever was going on. Surely it would have just carried on. In whatever direction. I don't, I don't know. I'm no expert. Um, but in films, generally it's, you know, different. If I remember... Okay, that's fine, hon. That's fine. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm overthinking. It's badly written. It's well, fine. Well, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, he, he, tries, me. he tries to tell him about Brian. And then he's like, shouldn't you be in school? You're not cutting class, I hope. And the film ends with the camera freezing on Paula's face with no reaction. Very fitting. Yeah. 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 You might as well end as you uh, started and carried on throughout the whole fucking film. Uh, that is cutting class. Yeah. Um, are you going to say your final it's just... words? That's just forgettable, isn't it? It is. It's, you know, I mean, uh, I I wouldn't say it's bottom-of-the-barrel trash at all. I wouldn't say it's a good film either. Um, 
it's just it just exists it's just a bit boring and it's boring because it's doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah, you can't keep up with the many tones going yeah, on. Yeah, so it's hard to get invested in it. I mean, it is fun. It's campy at times, um, but ultimately forgettable. Really. Yeah. I mean, in, you know, in a year's time, if you turn around to me and said, you know, give me the plot of Cutting Class, I'd be like, uh, Roddy McDowell puts on a wig. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I think the trampoline kill is probably the, the most memorable thing. A photocopier, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it's got Brad Pitt in it. It's the only reason. Yeah, well, that's the most memorable thing. Anymore. Yeah. You know, but if you like Brad Pitt and you're a completionist, <laughs> yeah, watch it. Yes. Uh, if you're a fan of Curtain Class, let us know on social media. We are Horacle Trash Over on Facebook and Instagram. Horrible trash on Twitter, and whilst I remember, um, we had Cameron from Killer Flicks pointed out that the score in the third act is actually ripped off from uh, "Don't Panic," a Mexican slasher film, and it is uh, the exact same score. So I assume it's stock music, maybe. It might be, or they paid for it. They, really? might, have, they might have watched "Don't Panic" and be like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> I'm enjoying this." Uh, I'm Dead Like Gaz 92. Stock music. <laughs> I'm Dead Like Gaz 92 on Letterboxd. Gaz 25 on Instagram. Gaz Cruise 92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker 823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. And give us a rate of view, subscribe on iTunes. If you like what you hear, be very nice. Like a follow on everything else. And give us a rating on Spotify too. Next week, it's double episode week, and we are changing things up a little on Tuesday. Doing something a little different. And we are discussing Madonna's acting career through the years. Yes. Yes. Yeah, legend, forever legend, my, you know, pop queen, she's my choice. Uh... We haven't seen too many of her films. Yes, widely known as a terrible actress. Um. And we're going to tell you if it's justified or not. Yes. Uh, and then on Friday... Justify my opinion. Then on Friday, we'll be back with this month's original versus remake, which will be 13 Ghosts, Ooh. completing the William Castle trio of remakes. Yeah. Well, no, I hope it's as good as the other... Two and one. You made this mistake last time I said this. I saw what you did. Oh. <laughs> House on Haunted Hill was good, but I saw what you did was not. No. The original was, not the remake. Yeah, that's true. But, yes, that'll be on Friday. In the meantime, we'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye.